1: It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us.
0: Good morning, everyone. You are listening to Green Left Radio and you have myself, Jacob Andwaffer,
1: and me, Zane Alcorn, and we're back in the studio!
0: Yeah, I was a bit worried, um, that I didn't, um, it's been actually so long, um, since I've been in the studio. In <laughs> fact, it's actually almost been a year when we think about it, because I'm pretty sure, well, almost a year, because, um, the last sort of live to air program we had was last year in March, um, before the kind of COVID-19 pandemic hit. And yeah, what a year it has been trying to get the program to, um, listeners ears every year, um, every week, um, in a pre-recorded kind of context. So for our program today, um, we're kind of happy to say we'll probably get back to almost our, a kind of more traditional format that we kind of used to, because I think with our pre-recorded programs, it was more characterized by uh, longer interviews. Um, we also did a use, uh, we also used a lot of content from our sort of green left um, forums that have been sort of organised a bit independently of uh, FreeCR. So we're hoping to kind of get back into kind of the rhythm. But before I, um, I go into discussing like what's on the current kind of headlines, I'd like to acknowledge um, more importantly um, that FreeCR is a Oh, yeah. FreeCR is um, broadcasting you from the Wondry land of the Kulin Nation. Um, I'd like to pay our respect uh, to Elders past and present and that this always was, always will be Aboriginal land.
1: Indeed it is, and shall remain.
0: Okay. Now, I guess the first kind of story that probably is on everybody's minds, most of us probably woke up yesterday morning, if you're if you're a Facebook user, and found out that you were not able to share any news, um, oh, sorry about that. I um, just had a sort of quick tech issue, but we we'll just fixed it just then, um, hopefully. Um, yeah. So probably many of our listeners who use Facebook were found um, found that you were unable to kind of share news. Free CR was actually equally affected um, because all of the um, a lot of news, pretty much every news media page is I- impacted in Australia. And essentially, you can, um, Facebook doesn't allow you to share news. You can't even see news from anyone um, anyone on your friends list, because obviously on Facebook, it's a global kind of network. And you probably have friends from the United States, from other parts of the world. Um, you can't even see when they post news anymore. Uh, you can only see when they post images of a cat or something or Uh, has not all posts things that, um, don't directly kind of link to a news site. And yes, FreeCR was impacted by this. Um, where, so basically no one can see the FreeCR Facebook page at this point. And so, yeah, I, if you use Facebook, I, I recommend if you want to keep in touch with, um, on, um, with FreeCR on some social media platform, I definitely recommend following them on Twitter because Twitter is, um, unaffected by this. And to give a bit of background on what, um, why, um, why this has happened is basically the government has been pushing this media code legislation. Now, to give a bit of background on this media code legislation, it has been in a sense lobbied for by the Murdoch press, but basically it is essentially a legislation that is kind of designed to correct kind of imbalances um, between the media and social media because basically we're kind of been in a situation, so right now social media is very dominant, um, it kind of dominates kind of our lives and pretty much all news is now filtered uh, through social media, um, like whether we're using Facebook, using Twitter. We get actually a lot of our news from using these kind of social media platforms and, of course, how does social media make revenue? It generally makes revenue through advertising clicks. Um, so if you notice, when you use Facebook and Google, um, there's um, lots of advertising you kind of see. Um, Google um, follows the kind of same kind of premise. Now, both Google and Facebook were kind of targeted in this sort of legislation because both Google and Google is another means by which our all our news is kind of filtered. And um, where we kind of access it, and essentially um, essentially, yes, the idea was to basically sort of give some Google, um, was for Google and Facebook to give some form of compensation um, whether it is maybe, um potentially a one off payment or maybe ongoing payments depending on number of clicks, etc. Um, those are all sort of things um, the media code was supposed to facilitate, and of course, the media code was really sort of supposed to facilitate um Sort of at least the comp, the two companies, whether let's say uh, a news company and Facebook were meant to kind of come to the common kind of agreement. Now that's explaining, I guess, the media code in its sort of simple kind of form. Um, but I want to give, I guess, one sort of update was Google had already come to some kind of agreement. Um, Google was opposing the implementation of this news code, um, but they've since pulled their opposition to it um, on the basis that they have come to some kind of agreement with Murdoch um, Press, who are one of the big sort of pushers of this legislation. Now, the downside to this is Google is currently going to be launching its Google News sort of platform. And now, you know how when you use Google, you have image search, um, you have searching for content, regular search, all that, they're probably going to add another column, which is for news. So it can basically provide a directory of different sort of news articles. Google? Now, yeah, Google.
1: How is that different to the existing Google News search?
0: Oh, oh, wait. Okay, so the diff... Oh, yeah, I already remembered. There is already a Google News search they're basically expanding that and basically okay. making it more nifty and more flashier.
1: Okay. Now,
0: the downside to this is they've basically come to some kind of agreement with the Murdoch Press, and the Murdoch Press has essentially paid Google fifty million. Of course, my facts might because I'm doing this on the, off the top of my head, and my facts might not be quickly, but it's within that within that kind of ballpark of fifty million. And really, the downside to that is essentially, um. If you use this new Google News platform when it sort of launches, um, or gets, or the current existing news platform gets, um, expanded, um, then basically what will get privileged in your results are the Murdoch Press.
1: Mm.
0: And yeah, so essentially now going back to the whole issue of, um, Facebook and not being able to kind of share news, this has almost sort of been a kind of wake up call, uh, for a lot of people because so much of our news and our content was filtered through, um, Facebook. Um, and it's really almost like they've taken away a means of dis- disseminating information because, you know, for all the problems of, you know, all the problems of Facebook, the increased entrenched dominance. And in fact, this really reflects that, uh, the actual reality is the majority of us or people who use Facebook were actually, in a sense, reliant on Facebook for news. Because in some ways, you know, using Facebook uh, to get news is almost, in some sense, better than um, just directly following newspapers, because obviously you have a personal sort of social network, you're interested in what your friends have to say about politics. Um, Certainly, well.
1: and, and it's not just that you're interested in what they say, but, like... I don't have time to trawl through every newspaper, whether it's green left or whether it's more mainstream media. I don't necessarily have the time every day to trawl through that and find the good stuff. And that's one of the good things about social media and about Facebook is I'm friends with a bunch of people who are really switched on and who will kind of serve the the real good stuff to me straight away in my feed and it saves me having to look for it because my friends have already done that work so it's kind of this hive mind thing where people share the the hot takes and it it saves you a lot of time and that's part of my um i don't know gripe i i a lot of my friends kind of side more with facebook on these um on this stuff, they view it more in the context of it's, it's a new government policy just to, to funnel money from Facebook to Murdoch. Uh, well, I respect their views, but I think on some level, there is a, there is grounds for some sort of royalty to be paid to media organizations from Facebook. I don't know how that would look. Probably somehow different from the um, Media Bargaining Code legislation, but I think it's disingenuous for Facebook to suggest that they provide all this free traffic to news websites. It's not Facebook that's providing that traffic. In many cases, it's other users who simply use Facebook as a space to share news articles with each other. And then Facebook monetizes that exchange between people and they generate revenue. But it's not like Facebook is... It's not as like a bunch of Facebook employees sitting in a room and sending mainstream news articles to Zane and Jacob. It's Zane sending stuff to Jacob. Jacob sending stuff to Zane and all of our other friends sending articles to each other. And that's a big part of why I'm interested in Facebook. I'm not there for the cat videos, and I put up with the ads from Wish for weird like butt plugs and like expandable bottles so your kids can take a wee in the car. I don't even have kids. Why am I seeing ads for this rubbish? Uh, that's what. And that's not what I'm there for. I'm there because I'm interested in political conversations, and I'm interested in those discussions. And I think it's. People are on Facebook because it's just the dominant platform where everyone is. It's kind of like this digital public square. So Facebook was kind of lucky. They came along at the right time. They provided a half-decent platform, and then everyone kind of gravitated there because that was the place to be where there's maximum people. But I I disagree with the idea that Facebook itself is generating traffic to these um, news platforms, and conversely, if Facebook makes this ban on news permanent, I would definitely strongly consider leaving, because that's kind of the main reason I'm there. Like I say, I'm not there for the cat videos, I'm not there for the crappy ads, and I think there could be a lot of people who leave Facebook if they make this news ban permanent. So I think it's a bluff from Facebook, And I think they'd stand to lose more than they would from just paying some royalties to media companies if they made this a permanent thing. And ultimately, I think it's an abuse of their power. And for the same reason, it would not be appropriate for Origin Energy and AGL and the big power utilities to orchestrate mass blackouts because they're opposed to a carbon tax policy It's You can debate a carbon tax. Green left has published stuff about how a carbon tax is regressive and we don't support it. There's a separate issue between do you think this policy is a good idea or not and is it appropriate for corporations that are providing an essential service to cut that off in order to push their political opinion. And I don't think that it's... Appropriate for Facebook to use their power to cut off discussion of news, including, as we've seen, important news about healthcare in the middle of a pandemic, about bushfire updates. I don't think it's appropriate for Facebook to just arbitrarily cut off the main public digital square from being able to view and discuss news because they're having a tantrum. It's not a responsible wielding of their control over that flow of information.
0: Yeah, to add in some more kind of things about the consequences of this kind of media blackout by Facebook, it has um, disproportionately kind of impacted on independent media like the likes of FreeCR, Green Left, uh, Red Flag... Um, and who all sorts of not-for-profit media publications that actually never stood to benefit from this media code. Um, in fact, we were already excluded from the media code because really the media code is focused on which um, who gets the share of the pie in terms of advertising revenue, and of course. Green Left, FreeCR, and all sorts of not-for-profit publications, they do, we do not get any revenue from, from advertising. Um, so it's actually completely unfair and disproportionate, um, that we're not able to share our content, um, on social media. Um, I would have been, it would have been perfectly fine if, um, if Murdoch and all the for-profit media publications, although still not necessarily so, um, because a lot of, um, still a lot of the major media companies Um, play an important role in terms of disseminating sort of important sort of information. I mean, apart from Murdoch, maybe that's a, that's another, um, that's a sort of another question. Important racist hate speech. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I think, you know, it's clearly, you know, weird that, you know, the likes of sort of green left, um, have been impacted by this because yet, as I said, we never stood to gain anything from this legislation being implemented.
1: Yeah. That's a good point too
0: and one um, one thing that happened earlier was a lot of important health information pages government department pages were delisted Monash University was delisted um, just a correction though they've since been put back up um, because I I imagine Facebook um, in terms of how they implemented this sort of ban on news they essentially designed an algorithm so essentially um if your facebook page was set up with a partic- in a particular category um then you would be delisted because most political parties um haven't necessarily been impacted by um this um by this um unless they they made their connection with a media publication explicit so um that's um that's um in that category has been um organisations like social alternative red flag has been delisted but social alternative melbourne has not been delisted solidarity has been delisted but it's because they have a magazine called solidarity so essentially yeah, because they're connected to a media sort of publication um the page that's sort of been the criteria by which they've sort of gone delisted so that's a kind of um another thing
1: but I also uh, so think Socialist Alternative will be happy that they, uh, changed the name of their publication from Socialist Alternative Magazine to Red Flag because they've, uh, managed to avoid the, uh, the, the blackout.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, in some, in that sense. And of course, the way, because it's designed on a basis of algorithm and not, um, on content, um, you, there are ways to bypass this news ban. People will include things like, changing a tiny URL, uh, linking an image first and making sure that's the primary thumbnail and you link the article there. Or you can just copy and paste um, your article, the text of your article and say, oh, yeah, I can't link this. You can just look it up on Google, um, which is a bit ironic because Google was um, almost <laughs> threatening to withdraw its search engine in response to this legislation. But I do want to add just a few sort of things because um, I, I also think... My kind of perspective on this my assessment of this whole thing is this is in some sense actually a bit of a dummy spit between two corporations um, between um, between two forces of capital, which is big sort of media and big tech on the other, big media being referred to as kind of the likes of kind of Murdoch because I think you know you know i actually I am very critical I think of the media code because i don 't actually think the media code. Um, I think the government going on about media diversity, the fact that the government is so quick to try and push this legislation through um, while presiding over cuts to the ABC and other local broadcasters mm. makes me completely cynical about their goals with this because I would see this legislation as nothing more than really just appealing to the Murdoch press. And, of course, I think in some sense some other more independent publications like The Guardian, who probably will get a bit of money, would in theory get a bit of money out of this, have, I think, been a bit naive to just sign up and sort of wholeheartedly, uncritically kind of back this legislation, because I just don't think if this legislation was implemented to its logical conclusion that it's not actually going to do anything for media diversity. In fact, it would actually just basically, because essentially with the media code, here's a few examples of what could happen. And, of course, going back to the Google 50 million deal with Murdoch, um, that's sort of one example of what could happen. So we could have a scenario where... Uh, Murdoch Press, um, pays Facebook X number of million, um, and then in exchange Facebook gives them access to all, um, all their algorithms, um, etc. What that essentially means in layman terms is, the Murdoch press could have come to an arrangement with Facebook where Murdoch press appears more prominently in your news feeds uh, than any other news publication, which I think is actually scary and dangerous for Deep democracy. Deeply evil. <laughs> and, of course, um, Facebook has already had a trend of deprioritizing news. Um, in fact, they've made recent changes to their algorithms where you see news content less often than personal posts from your friends. Um, so, for example, um, when I made a, a personal post um, and commentary about this, I tend to get more likes um, and more resp- a, a larger response than previously pre blackout than simply just sharing a, a Green Left article, and then. I think the other sort of um, other kind of implication of this is I think if the government was really interested in media diversity, why is it that they're picking um, Facebook to basically um, to basically siphon off revenue? Because um, in actual fact, ABC... Um, and SBS were um, were meant to be able to negotiate some kind of compensation with social media companies. But why is it up to our public broadcasters to negotiate with another private company to get extra re- revenue? Why isn't the government actually giving full funding to the ABC and SBS? Mm. And I guess the other kind of issue as well is... There's all sorts of, there's other ways of also diversifying media as well. Um, And that includes giving extra funding to community organizations, uh, community radio, um, community news. Um, it also includes like a similar policy, implementing a similar policy to what Norway does, which basically Norway has a policy where there's mandated state subsidies to every town or um, country or, or state or whatever to basically give the funding to be able to do local kind of newspapers in fact our local newspaper industry has pretty much been gutted I um, mean it's been gutted even more as a result of COVID. there's pretty much no um I live in the moorland area and I remember when the moorland leader um, existed um, and it had multiple journalists now it went to one journalist and now it go and now it doesn't really exist anymore so I think that's um hmm. that's I think um, my sort of cynicism about this legislation. On the other hand, just to make a bit of criticism of Facebook, I do think Facebook is setting a worrying precedent because, hypothetically, governments around the world could implement far more pre- progressive legislation that reigns in Facebook because Facebook and Google, hard um, because they see themselves as global sort of corporations that are above state and country... They, um, they pay very little in tax while mm. they make millions and or even billions off collecting our personal data and then of course selling that personal data to, to
1: advertisers of butt plugs.
0: To, yeah. Well, to advertisers <laughs> and uh, marketing corporations. So I could easily imagine, let's say our government was hypothetically progressive. Um, if our government tried to attempt to rein in Facebook and Google on that basis, I imagine Facebook and Google would be giving a far worse response because, in actual fact, the media code doesn't actually... It represents actually a very minimal threat to their profits because, in actual fact, um, the the media code never necessarily stipulated um, that um, Facebook has to pay Murdoch for X number of clicks. Um, basically, it stipulated that... Murdoch and Facebook just had to come to some kind of agreement and work out some kind of compensation. And
1: of course what's that? It's reminiscent of when the lockdowns were first starting and COVID was first kicking off, there was this thing of like, oh yeah, landlords and tenants need to come to an agreement. Like it's very non-specific. And, uh, I think Facebook's tantrum is all the more, um, disproportionate and like over the top in this regard because Facebook could hypothetically just say oh yeah we'll give you 50 bucks a year for your sharing News Limited media content and then News Limited would have a big whinge and say no no we want a billion dollars and then they come to some agreement but it could really to tick that box Facebook just has to give some amount of money to News Limited or Nine Media or The Guardian, whatever news outlet it is, we're talking about potentially a really tiny little crumb of the overall massive advertising revenue that they make. So, it's yeah, as you say, it's not like there's a mandated price per click that's actually being put into law here.
0: And also, I think globally, um, there is actually a trend... Right now, there are actually governments around the world, and this doesn't mean I necessarily support these governments, but there's, this clear, there's a clear kind of conflict between big tech and um, capitalist sort of governments um, around the world because basically, on one hand, um, Facebook and the likes of Facebook and Google, as I sort of implied, like to see themselves as above states and government um, because of the context of operating in a global market. And so there is a trend where, um, there is a trend where governments around the world, actually the United States is one example, are wanting to sort of rein in Facebook and Google and put them under much more strict regulations. Um, of course, obviously whatever these regulations would be, it's not necessarily a hundred percent for progressive reasons, just like this um, media code is being drafted. But I do think that Facebook and Google are worried about a precedent being set where if, um, like, say, if this media code gets implemented and it gets fully legislated, um, then it sets a precedent that Google, um, that um, um, the the Australian government might also try some other legislation that reigns them in, like maybe getting them to pay more tax, maybe putting them under harsher regulations um, by which they conduct their business, all of which sort of puts a bit of dent on some of their profits. And, of course, I think Google and Facebook, um, and all the big tech companies are increasingly worried that they're going to be reined in by governments. And so they essentially are threatening, you know, cap, um, strikes like this by shutting off their services, mm. um, and it's a so on.
1: capital strike.
0: Yeah. It's essentially like a capital strike, um, to prevent that from, from happening. So I think, you know, that's, that's also another context that I think we have to be kind of aware of, um, In actual fact, my personal opinion is I actually think these big tech companies like Facebook and Google, even though they have a more progressive sort of liberal image than the likes of Murdoch, I think in some context they would represent a greater evil in the long term because you actually, they are increasingly becoming unaccountable to the public. But at the same time, you know, you have to acknowledge that social media services come and go. And of course, social media thrives on the fact that Lots of users use their platforms. And of course, you know, MySpace, um, um, fell apart at one stage. Uh, the same thing could happen to Facebook. So, you know, um, Facebook is not immune to, is not completely immune. Um, although I do set, I do feel in some ways Google have almost set themselves in a, a monopolized position that's almost impossible, that might be hard to kind of break. But I do think, you know, The, the actual focus on how we respond to these companies should be, well, these companies actually need to be democratized Mm. and actually put under some kind of public ownership so they can actually be accountable, um, to the public. And of course, now going back, I want to give a bit of a kind of plug. Um, the impact of this Facebook kind of ban, um, is, as I said, disproportionately kind of impacting on social, uh, on social media. Oh, no, no, on social media, on independent, um, community run media. And, so, um, FreeCR is currently going through a subscriber drive at the moment, um, starting from the 15th, um, 15th to the 21st of February. And if you're not a subscriber of FreeCR, it, now it is more, a more important time to be a subscriber.
1: Or if you are a subscriber and your subscription has lapsed, now is the time to renew it because, yeah, COVID has really smashed FreeCR. Studio has been, kind of more or less empty for uh, the last most of the last year Uh, we were kind of unable to have radios on last year like we usually do so uh, it's really important especially in the context of these attacks on Facebook sharing media, 3CR having its Facebook page shut down, it's really important for all listeners to uh, keep showing your support and and subscribe to 3CR there is a small um, staff here of paid organisers who hold everything together and then there is a whole large bunch of volunteers who are facilitated in running our various radio programs like Greenleaf Radio by that small team. And so when you pay your subscription each year, you are literally paying to keep the lights on at 3CR, keep the internet connected, keep the computers going and to pay that small team of staff who holds it all together. So it's, it's really important that we keep this, uh, independent left wing community voice going strong in Melbourne. So please do resubscribe or if you haven't subscribed before, there's never been a better time to do it. And you just simply go to 3CR.org.au. Or give us a call on. Just let me log into my phone. <laughs> I should know the number off by heart, but
0: the number should be around
1: zero three nine four one nine eight three double seven. And you can just press one to subscribe. After you've called that number, and you'll be taken straight to the subscribe point So get in there. Hmm.
0: And also to give another plug, um, because we are an affiliate of FreeCR, um, Green Left is also going through its 30th anniversary. In fact, um, it was a bit unfortunate um, that this whole media blackout happened actually on our 30th birthday, which is um, the 18th of February. And so yeah, um
1: I allege a conspiracy.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um basically we are looking kind of for messages of support from any sort of activists and individuals, you know, to have a bit of um to give a bit of a quote for us on what Green Left means to you. And you can find out how you can do that by going on the greenleft.org.au website. But also more than that, you can also it is also a good time to also become a supporter of Green Left. Um, you can become a supporter of Green Left by going to greenleft.org.au/support, forward and yeah, essentially um, you can um, it, um, to become a supporter. It costs like five dollars a month uh to get the digital edition of Green Left. Of course, all our content is available online and then for free. And then we also have the print subscription for $10 a month. So, yeah, I definitely recommend, um, yeah... Becoming a supporter of Green Left, but also becoming a subscriber of FreeCR because we really need-
1: We don't getting keep... no kickbacks from Facebook. <laughs>
0: yeah. Because we need to, we need to, um, keep independent media alive. And as we said, we got, we went in kind of long detail about our analysis of this media code. This media code was never gonna be, was never gonna benefit, um, small community run, um, media like Free the likes of FreeCR and Green Left. Um, so it's very important that we have that important kind of grassroots, um, people-powered kind of support. Now, I might just go um, play, I guess, a quick announcement. In fact, I'll just play an ad, um, which basically advertises that you should subscribe to FreeCR again. Um, and, might, and yeah, and we'll go, you are listening to Green Left Radio. It's um, 7.33 a.m. on 8.55 a.m.
2: The Black Lives Matter movement is not going away here or overseas.
0: It gives me hope seeing
2: the numbers of people that turn out to these Invasion Day demonstrations in Melbourne. It gives me the understanding that we will win, folks. We will succeed!
1: 3CR, always bringing
0: you the latest union news.
2: They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty the rates. The big push from down businesses. Down. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. Don't
3: you
0: know so there's tens of thousands of jobs gone contracted down. out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8:55 AM and on the web, 3cr.org.au
2: wasting time
0: Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 or visit 3CR.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Okay, you're listening to Green Left um, Radio. And we were just having a bit of a discussion, uh, probably quite a bit of a long discussion, but I think it was actually worthwhile kind of really sort of analysing it. Um, the kind of recent sort of spit around Facebook blocking or its news in Australia. Now, this is another kind of news story um, that you might have not been um, aware about uh, if you're reliant on Facebook for news. Um, but just um, yesterday, um, the federal government have basically passed legislation which um combined um which basically abolishes the family court. Now listeners are probably aware the family court is what sort of handles sort of matters of domestic violence, um divorces, uh marriage, um, etc. And essentially what they have done is they've basically merged the family court with the Federal Circuit Court. Now, this is, I think, a very terrible thing actually although it's quite sort of hard to explain but i mean with the whole nature of the legal system is the legal system is a very kind of intuitive system it's not necessarily designed to serve the interests of ordinary people but what this actually means is in actual fact because the family court has been merged with the federal court it essentially means that um that there could be victims of domestic violence could end up falling through the cracks. Um and um and you know, the government the the, the government is sort of justifying that this would be mean uh, a simpler, faster and cheaper legal system. But of course you can't why it's actually completely inatritive to have the same federal court um that handles bankruptcy, copyright, migration and um, to also handle family law, and um, and of course um, that basically yeah it creates it's a I think it's a very terrible move and yeah the liberal government overwhelmingly voted for it um, whereas the Greens and the Labor had in some and had opposed it so and of course it was also being condemned um, by many former judges and legal experts.
1: Yeah, I don't know too much about the specifics of this, but if people are like former um family court judges and people who have got their header and the legal profession are opposing it, you can be sure that it's for a good reason. And this is too important a space for uh proper legal pathways to be getting cut off for people who who face uh, domestic violence and gendered violence. Mm.
0: Yeah, so I think, yeah, that's really, given that we're sort of not legal experts, we can't really go into all the kind of detail on the sort of consequences of this, but I think, you know, generally on the face of it, I think this is a very regressive kind of move for the government.
1: Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that, and we might uh, see if we can razz someone up who can talk about that in a bit more detail but uh, I don't know if it was just a coincidence or if it's kind of like taking out the trash on a Friday kind of thing where they've waved that through in the middle of the Facebook media blackout conundrum, or not conundrum, debacle. Um, yeah, it's, uh, the timing seems a bit peculiar because I I hadn't heard anything about that prior to yesterday and then it was just like, bang, this thing's happened.
0: Well, no, I've actually been, I've been hearing about it that it's been proposed, I guess, for a while, okay. um, in the, in the kind of lead up to it. Um, so it hasn't necessarily come from kind of nowhere. In fact, it's been discussed, um, and put forward by the Liberal government for quite a while, um, for, for the past few, um, several months. So, mm, okay. um, this is basically just a logical kind of outcome of, um, the legislation. And, um, just being, um, debated and, um, and then it got, um, passed. But yeah, it has been, um, proposed, I guess, for a while. Okay. Well, um, we have at least, um, three, um, we had at least three to four minutes, um, to our interview. I'm thinking, um, that we might play, I guess, a quick song, um, and then move, I guess, on to our first interview. Um, it's been actually a while since we've been able to sort of play a song uh, live on air, um, so I haven't necessarily got much kind of prepared. I'm just looking at what what we sort of have available, um, and I'm going to go play "Survivor's Tale" um, by Les Thomas.
1: Sweet.
0: Um, hope you enjoy. When I dreamed of you so long ago, it took a leap of faith to make it so. Your mother and I both told you in our hall, we couldn't share. Gave me your name. Okay, you're listening to Green Left Radio and you are just listening to Survivor's Tale um, by Les Thomas. Okay, we are now going um, to our first interview for the program. We have Emily um, Bullock um, on the line, Russ, who, who is based in Sydney um, and she is a resident of a public housing estate in Glebe and... Basically, the New South Wales government, similar to Victoria, and this has been a campaign we've covered, um, previously, um, is selling off, um, a kind of number of public housing estates in, um, Glebe and Evelyn. And there has been an ongoing campaign to kind of stop these sell-offs. So yeah, good morning, Emily. Good morning. Okay. Um so Emily, what can you um, tell us, I guess, to start off, can you tell us what is this current kind of situation with these kind of public housing sell offs um, as enacted by the New South Wales state government?
2: Yes, well it's they call it a seventy thirty mix, i.e. seventy percent is turned into private uh dwellings and thirty percent is um, you know, rebuilt as, um, a public housing slash community housing. The, um, the problem being is of course they say, you know, it's wonderful, it's mixed community. But of course there are, in this particular case, there are three distinct buildings, one of which will be housing. So it's not a mixed estate. And it's not, it's not like you're going to have a private owner next door. They're going to be in a completely different building. They'll drive in a different way. Our building, of course, will be a lesser building. It'll, it won't will have any outdoor area, although they promised balconies, but it's quite different. You know, like we've got a community garden in our state. That'll go. We've got, you know, play areas for children. That'll go. The new... <coughs> New building will be, you know, studio apartments, one bedroom and two bedroom. Here we have, um, four and five bedroom apartments with families in them. They promise a right of return, but those families have got no right of return. Mm. This building was purpose built only 30 years ago, um, you know, under a very sort of, uh, positive housing regime and um, it's low rise, so you know, like just stairs up. They say it'll be wonderful because we'll have lifts, so you won't have stairs. I think, well, it's one thing about fitness that I get is my stairs, but that's going to go.
0: Zane, you had a question?
1: Yeah, Emily, I'm wondering if you've been following what's been happening in Victoria, because it sounds like there's a lot of parallels between the plans to demolish uh, walk-up public housing in Melbourne and replace it with towers that are a mix of private and uh, social housing yes. and what you're facing at the Glebe Estate.
2: Yes. It's just, you know, like because of property prices, which, as we know, rules, rules Australia... The, um, uh, we are in a city. Glebe is a heritage suburb, so they can't demolish, you know, the, um, the terrace houses because they're heritage listed. Mind you, that could change at any second. But our building, because it's only 30 years old, is not heritage listed. But it's purpose built. It sort of, Um, It was designed by Paul Cox. So it's, you know, got architectural merit. And the Department of Housing, this was the first one they built in this design, and the Department of Housing used, copied the design many times over.
0: Hmm. And what has been kind of like the government kind of spin in terms of kind of justifying this privatisation of public housing?
2: Well, of course, it's about, you know, like housing tenants don't deserve to have a nice home. Housing tenants, you know, should live like sardines in a high-rise. That's the their philosophy. Housing tenants, you know, only private people, private owners deserve a view, hence the reason they sold Miller's Point. Housing tenants only um, you know, are l- lucky to get the scraps of what what they fail to see is that if they re um reinvested in this property, it, they could easily adapt and change it to um uh you know it could be refurbished very easily and maybe, you know, like another level put on and The density improved that way. But just by wiping every little blade of grass, because the new complex is without any outdoor area. It's four high-rise flats of blocks.
1: Um, Emily, you're probably, in doing advocacy in this area, you'd be familiar with the the massive backlog of public housing that is needed. Can you comment on this idea that, the, the only way to achieve that density is by demolishing um, walk-up housing units such as your own and then replacing them, as you say, by packing people in like sardines. Surely the government should be purchasing blocks of land across the city, including in nice areas, and building new apartments and leaving the existing housing stock as is, or as you say, maybe refurbishing it a bit? Yes. Well, look,
2: I totally agree with that they should be investing in new properties not not selling off what i find so horrendous here in new south wales we have 60,000 plus on the waiting list hmm. but i being a person who has tenancy will be moved out and so nobody off the waiting list i will get priority I will be the one who gets rehoused. Nobody on the waiting list will get rehoused by this. There is going to be fewer bedrooms in the complex they have suggested for this area. Fewer bedrooms, so therefore fewer people. Hmm. Because they will only be housing single and, you know, couples, basically.
0: And what can you tell us, Emily, I guess, about the response to this? Um, my understanding is there's been a kind of ongoing campaign that has developed to oppose these, um, these sell-offs. And what can you tell us about um, the response to, um, from the community, but also the response from the actual tenants themselves in um, to these sell-offs?
2: Yes, well, we have, you know, formed a residence committee, and we are being active. We're supported by um, local groups. I mean, Hands Off Lead is one of the groups that supports us. And, of course, you're, um, you know, the socialist group. They've been very supportive. We have, you know, campaigned. We've had, we tried to have a march, which was very well attended. But we were only allowed to march 50 yards. Because the police said that they didn't have staff to, or, you know, because we, we live very near a large shopping center and we wanted to march around that, but we weren't allowed. The police, you know, control us. Hmm. It's, um, but the campaign is ongoing. It's just that, you know, like they announced the refurbishment slash demolition of the Redfern Waterloo estate. Five years ago, people are still living in the estate and it was very hard to maintain the momentum of the people within the estate because, you know, as people sort of slowly moved out, the, uh, you know, the tendency was to sort of kind of, uh, anyway, we just kind of lost momentum there. So it's very hard realizing that this could go on for five years. I could be still here in five years. Mm. But the threat will never go away. The men you know, the issues about your mental health will go away. Because you'll always feel that there's going to be a knock on your door and next week you know, just something simple like you might want to change change a small thing in your apartment you're very reluctant to like I want to uh, paint my stairwell well I just don't want to paint it now because it might I might be gone in two months for all I know
1: Hmm. could be in vain yeah and I think
0: yeah that's a kind of like an important kind of thing you kind of bring up because one of the most kind of important things about public housing is Um, for its residents. Like yourself, it gives this sense of kind of permanency um, that you always kind of have a home. And, of course, the government... you know going ahead with this sort of privatization and of course not even you're know, not even knowing whether you would be relocated or where you kind of be relocated um they essentially are destroying um communities um a community that has been built up clearly around this um, these public housing estates just at the at the expense of of the residents who live there
2: yes and it's sort of like I have my, I mean I live in a stairwell of only four flats but my neighbour, every time I see him, you know, I have to tell him again that we're moving because he has dementia. The Department of Housing has done nothing about visiting and, and trying to explain to him, talking to his carer or anything. So hmm. it's sort of an, you know, like, they just think, oh, a notice in the letterbox is good enough. Hmm. It's hmm. not good enough. You know, like, they're not... Ca- no, they don't care about us. They just treat us like a commodity that can be moved.
0: Yeah, that's and disgraceful. Into... Yeah, absolutely mm. disgraceful. And what can you tell us, I guess, about in terms of going back to the campaign, what are some of the demands of the different sort of groups? Like, what are kind of the demands and the alternative um, that we're pushing, um, that you're pushing to the state government?
2: Well, our alternative is refurbish, don't demolish. Re- to refurbish these flats would cost a tiny bit compared to what will be invested. And, of course, what I, you know, as a subclause to all this, is there's so many empty flats in Sydney, privately owned, mm. because investors are not forced to lease them. They're not, it's apparently economically viable not to rent them. Mm. So I think they'd be, if they really think, you know, Sydney has a shortage of housing, the rental, there is more than 30% of people rent and yet we're invisible. The only information you get is, you know, house prices and how much they sell for. You don't hear about How many empty flats there are in Sydney. These are sort of invisible. And the, what I would like to see is a campaign for, you know, a vacancy tax so that people would be forced and then the, there wouldn't be this urge to rebuild higher and more densely. Because if people were actually living in the flats that already exist, the requirement for higher density, will be, you know, like, lessened.
1: Mm. Or will be, yeah, satisfied by that existing housing stock.
3: Mm.
2: Yes.
1: Some dangerous ideas you raise, Emily, taking advantage of the existing housing stock that's not being utilised. Yeah.
0: And um, we're running a bit um, out of time now before we have to move to the next part of the program. I guess just in case there are any kind of listeners in New South Wales, but I also think solidarity from other states, even in Victoria, is also important. How can people support your ongoing fight against privatisation of these estates? And, of course, any final comments you would like to make?
2: Um, well, think our group, Hands Off Gleave, is probably the best... Um, uh, I didn't <laughs> Really? maybe I'll just give you my email address: Emily at emilyvalentine dot com dot au. And people can contact me there or at Hands Off Glee, which we have a Facebook page and this and that.
1: Yeah, nice. Hmm. All right. Well, thanks each for talking to us this morning, Emily. And uh, yeah. Yes. Best of luck with the campaign and, and keeping up the, a solid uh, fight, because as you say, it is a, it is a marathon, not a sprint, and uh, it's challenging. Yeah. But hopefully, uh, enough of the community can can stay mobilised around this, and you can uh, defend your your bit of uh, public housing turf from what they're trying to do, because it's it's outrageous. Thank you very much,
2: and thank you for your support.
0: Yeah, thank you very much, Emily. Okay.
1: Bye. All right. Uh, Yes, Emily Bluck there from Hands Off Glebe. And as Emily mentioned, you can look for Hands Off Glebe, and I'm sure they'd appreciate a message of support from down here, especially if you've been involved in essentially a similar fight. We've got supposedly the most progressive Labor government down here. There's a Tory government up in New South Wales, but both of them are doing the same thing and knocking down low-rise public housing so that they can replace it with uh, the 70-30 mix of private dwellings with a smattering of reduced size social housing, probably not even public housing per se.
0: Yeah. You're, um, but, yeah, um, you're, you're listening to Green Left um, Radio, and I'm just going to play a quick announcement, and then we'll go on to the activist calendar um, before, and then go into our next interview. of the Earth Food Co-op is open. Get fresh produce and support local farmers and keep our grassroots community thriving through these unusual times. Organic veggie boxes and click and collect now available. Visit www.foefood.org slash click to place your orders. Or pop in store at 312 Smith Street and see how we're adapting with our new physical distancing layout. Shop organic and buy local. Made easy at Friends of the Earth. A proud 3CR supporter. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio and it's that time where it is time for the Green Left activist calendar. Now, the first announcement I want to make is um, that I'm pretty sure there's going to be a refugee rally today as part of the Freedom Fridays um, by campaign against racism and fascism. And that's going to be at, I think, 5.30 or 5.30. Five to six p.m. at the Park Hotel. Maybe just get there at five p.m. Um, sorry, I don't have the sort of information just right in front of me. But then, um, and I think it would be important to get back onto the streets um, following the five-day lockdown, which we didn't even comment on actually. Um, but of course, we're not in lockdown right now, so it's not nearly uh, it's not nearly that um, that important at the moment. And now the next kind of um, event is. The refugee rally that we previously announced was going to be on last Saturday, which obviously had to be postponed because of the lockdown, is now going to be happening this Saturday at 12 noon at the State Library, 328 Swanson Street in the city. And the rally is free all the Medivac refugees. Let them stay permanently. Um, so, yeah, definitely recommend um, getting down to that, And then, of course, there will be a rally, um, which we're going to be doing an interview about um, following this, um, a fairer NDIS for all. That's going to be happening after the refugee rally at 12pm, and that's going to be happening at 2pm at the State Library, 328 Swanson Street. Then on Sunday, February the 21st, um, there's going to be an online forum, Julian Assange, What's Next on Sunday, February the 21st. Um, I think if you search online forum um, Assange case, what next, um, you can find out info about it. And it's by the Don't Extradate Assange campaign group. So, yeah, you can get the sort of info on that there. And then the next kind of events um, to note is there's going to be an Act on Climate Action Group meeting at 6pm at the Friends of the Earth building, one twelve Smith Street. On Tuesday, um, February the 23rd, there's another um, Friends of the Earth event, Info Night Campaign for Climate and Environmental Justice in 2021. And that's going to be an outdoor forum. And it's going to be at the Edinburgh Gardens, Alfred Crest in Fitzroy North. And then on Thursday, um, February twenty fifth, there's going to be a webinar and environment and community. Um, so if you I think if you search webinar, environment and community um, to get a bit more info Oh yes, it's actually um organized by the Independent and Peaceful Australia Inquiry. Um, so basically, yeah, you can get the sort of info on that webinar kind of there. And then the next event is there's going to be an event organised by the Australian Palestine Advocacy Network, um, the Book Room, um, Coming of Age in the War on Terror, which includes um, interviews and uh, interview and discussion with um, a, a notable um, Palestinian Australian author who's written a recent book called Coming of Age in the War on Terror. So that's happening on Thursday, February the twenty fifth, on eight pm. And then, of course, from Friday, um, February 26th to Monday, um, March 15th, there's going to be the Transitions Film Festival. Um, So, yeah, you you can look up the Cinema Nova, I think, to find out because that's the cinema that is screening it. Um, And they have um, various sort of films that are sort of happening. um, They're going to be showing in relation to Transitions and Sustainability. There's also on Tuesday, March the 2nd, there's going to be a webinar, um, Climate Change and Human Health. So search webinar, climate change and human health on Facebook to get the sort of info with the online link. And then on March the 5th, there is going to be a refugee rally organized by all sorts of different groups, mainly the group that has been coined all the kind of daily protests. And that's going to be happening at 6 p.m., at the State Library and the rally is going to be focusing on basically freeing all the remaining Medirac refugees because they are still refugees who are held in detention in the Park Hotel and, and, and so on. So I think, yeah, it's going to be very important to get down for that rally. It's at 6pm at the State Library at March, the, on March 5th. Then on Monday, March 8th, there's going to be a rally and in march, International Women's Day at 2pm at the Parliament, and then on Tuesday, um, March 9th, there's going to be film screening of Woman of Steel um, at the Cinema Nova, 380 Ligon Street in Carlton. And in fact, we'll probably um, have one of the filmmakers as a as a guest in a, for a future free CR program, especially yes. since we've done it
1: previously. It's so good.
0: And then on, um, then on, um, and then the next event is from Monday, March the twenty-second to Sunday, March the twenty-eighth. There's going to be a climate action mass march disruption organised by Extinction Rebellion. And then on Sunday, oh, the next event I don't want to forget is. Saturday, March the 27th at 7pm, there's going to be 30 years of Green Left, a 30th anniversary Green Left event. It's going to be an online event, and it'll feature Indian feminist and leader of the CPI Mar- um, Marxist-Leninist Liberation um, in India, um, Communist Party of India Marxist-Leninist Liberation, Kavita Krishna, who is going to be addressing um, the, the, the event, um, talking about um, the, um, the ongoing farmers' fight back and struggle. So that's happening on Saturday, March the 27th at 7pm. And then, of course, the last event I want to sort of note is the Palm Sunday kind of Walk for Justice for Refugees, um, and that's going to be happening on Sunday, March 28th at 2pm at the State Library. Anyway, I might just go pass it on to Zane to do a bit of a subscriber sort of drive, and then I'll get the interview ready.
1: Yes, so as we've mentioned, um, we're here at 3CR... We are reliant on your support as subscribers to keep this rockin', radical radio station kicking along year after year. And in a world where there is a contracting media diversity where Facebook is blocking people's access to the news, it's more important, and and when ABC are having their funding cut and they're being kind of cowed into submission by a uh, scummy Liberal government, it is more important now than ever to support independent left-wing media that provides a uh, a class-conscious, environmentalist uh, perspective and which gives Provides a platform, provides voice for um, people with uh, accessibility uh, issues, fighting for better accessibility around uh, around the city and around the country. Um, people of colour, people of different cultural uh, backgrounds. So yeah, get get amongst it. Support 3CR. Uh, it's really important to subscribe right now you can do so by going to 3cr.org.au or by ringing us here 0394198377 Uh, you can even press 1 when you ring up and there's a special um, part of the phone line that lets you uh, resubscribe so yeah please please do that and i guess the other thing to say at this point is we're really grateful to all those people who do subscribe and who've uh, shown your support over the years and, and keep this uh, this grand old radio station kicking along. It's, uh, it's greatly appreciated. So, yeah, keep up the good work and, and thanks for your support. This really is a community-driven radio station right here.
0: Yeah. Well anyway, we're gonna be going on to our next interview. Um, but I'll just quickly play a quick announcement for thirty seconds and then we'll get on to it. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio, and now we're on to our second interview for the program this week. Um, We have Bree, um, from Fairer NDIS for All. And um, so, yeah, good morning, um, Bree.
3: Uh, Good morning.
0: Okay, so, Bree, um, from my understanding, Fairer NDIS for All um, has formed and has organised a kind of rally um, this Saturday, um, at 2pm um, at, uh, um, at the State Library um, around this whole issue, I guess, of the NDIS. And I guess maybe for our listeners, can you start off by giving a bit of context for why this sort of rally has been called, um, your particular demands, and I guess the current kind of situation that sort of affects the NDIS at this stage? Um, so
3: I guess mostly um, the campaign started because of independent assessments um, so last year, uh, the tune review came out, which, which was a review done of the NDIS that showed all these problems with the NDIS, how it's not delivering as it, as it's promised and how there are all these like, uh, financial and cultural barriers to the NDIS. Um, as a response to like this review, uh, the minister for the NDIS, Stuart Robert, he announced, I think it was August last year at some time. Uh, he announced that uh, independent assessments will be introduced to the NDIS where um, when your plan is getting reviewed or you're trying to get funding, independent assessments will be used, where like a stranger comes into your house and um, like reviews your um, functionality uh, in about one to two hour, uh, one to four hours. Um, so that's kind of. Why we, we started was against independent assessments and then we have the other demands on top of that, like uh, free medical and allied health services for people applying for the NDIS, um, stop privatisation and expand public disability services, uh, scrap the NDIA staffing cap and for like all data from, from the first independent assessments trials done by the government to be made public. and kind of for there to just be more transparent, transparency from the government on, like, what it's doing with the NDIS.
1: Um, Bree, this uh, independent assessors issue is, as you say, the big one. Can you contrast how the existing system works, which I'm sure is probably less than perfect anyway, with this independent assessor model that they're wanting to bring in? Well...
3: The, in the the reason why independent assessments is uh, like you know not wanted I guess um, is because it is a stranger that is coming to your home it's like um, and assessing you it's not you know like a trusted um, medical professional that you have a relationship with it's not like um, you know because if you if you have an impairment and if you're disabled um, it could be so that you have. Multiple different impairments, um, and so you'll have like various different like medical professionals that can like help you with those things. And usually, you build a relationship and you build trust with that professional. But so that's how the current system is: is that um, reports are made um, from those medical professionals um, that you trust. And then now with independent assessments, it's a complete stranger coming in; they're not going to know like what your impairments are, they're not going to know what you're capable of and in most situations they'll overestimate how much you can do in a day because they'll be seeing you, you know, only for a short period of time. It can be like as quick as 20 minutes because the one hour minimum includes report writing. So they, they're they going to see you in your home where you're most comfortable. They're not going to see how, like, um, your impairments will affect you when you leave home, when you're at work, when you're using public transport, when you're, you know, going to social events. That's all going to be hidden, and it's just going to be, um, you know, just how, I guess, disabled do you look within, like, one hour. Um, mm. So that's what the, what the problem is.
0: And... What can you, I guess, tell us, I guess, about some, um, the politics of this sort of legislation or these changes to the NDIS that is kind of being pushed through? What is kind of justification that the kind of politicians and, of course, which sides of politics are, in fact, actually pushing this particular change for the NDIS?
3: Um, so the I guess the reason, as I said, like the Tune review that happened, that came out in January 2020, um, was talking about financial barriers accessing the the NDIS, so it can be obviously very expensive to try and get reports from various medical professionals, especially if they you know aren't really covered by Medicare. So the the logic that I guess the, the Liberal government and Stuart Robert has employed is that uh, IAs independent assessments will be um, will make the NDIS more accessible for people. Who don't have that money, and that it like will ease the um, financial burdens on on the individuals. But um, this isn't necessarily true because it's like there are still people who are going to have to try and you know use their own funds to see different um, to see like their medical professionals, um, for instance there have been stories that you can see of people doing independent assessments um, and they still have to get reports from um, their trusted medical professionals as well that can still cost, um, you know, like thousands of dollars. So I don't see how that logic um, really stands because people will still have to use some of their own money to access the NDIS. And I think, like, the politics behind it is that with independent assessments, it will not only be used so when, you know, someone new has come onto to the NDIS and they're trying to get funding, um, independent assessments can really restrict their funding by overestimate, um, you know, their, their functionality. Uh, and it's the same for people who are already on the NDIS. When they get reviewed, if independent assessments go through, when they get reviewed next, they could see like a serious drop in funding. So, from the position of fair NDIS for all, um, independent assessments are to save money um, on the NDIS because the NDIS has grown and expanded more than what was originally planned for.
0: And I guess, what can you I guess tell us um, about um, the campaign? I guess in terms of. What are kind of the the different groups that have been um, that have formed kind of um, fair NDIS for all, and I guess even I guess more details I guess on some of your I guess demands in terms of the rally and also details on the rally as well.
3: Um, so the people in the group, it's it's like a bit of like a united campaign between like uh, disabled activists and um workers in the disability sector so um there's there's support from like both sides for the campaign and um from disability advocacy groups and also from unions so some of us are, uh there's some like ndis participants there's some people who are trying to get on the ndis but can't and then there's like um just dis- disabled activists and uh yeah, like like I said, like workers in the disability sector. Um, as for like the rest of our demands, do you have any like questions in particular?
0: Or more like um like how how what 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 are the sort of the demands um probably you probably repeated them before um said them before but maybe just from the context just for the listeners what are sort of the concrete kind of demands that the rally is kind of campaigning for um yeah.
3: Yeah, so obviously the first one is stop independent assessments. The second is for free medical and allied health services for people applying for the NDIs. Um, obviously, we don't want those to be conditional of like if you are able to get on the NDIs, um, and that kind of um, addresses the point of uh, that independent assessments are supposed to save people money. Um, The third demand is to stop privatisation and expand public disability services. Um, The fourth is to scrap the NDIA's staffing cap. And the fifth is that all data from the first independent assessment trial that was done between November 2018 and April 2019 to be made fully public and accessible.
0: Hmm. And um, what can you you give us, um, just for our listeners, um, details for the rally tomorrow?
3: So tomorrow the rally will begin at 2 p.m. Um we'll obviously you know this is going to be a covid safe rally so if you're sick or feeling unwell like please don't come to the rally and support us in other ways if you can. Uh and just yeah like bring bring masks and hand sanitizer if you can but that will also be provided on the day and it should just be we'll have um, an hour of speeches like including myself I'll be chairing the rally. We've got Paul Healy from the Health and Community Services Union, Bill Shorten, who's the Shadow Minister for the NDIS, and we have uh, Samantha Ratnam from the Greens.
1: Hmm.
3: And, yeah, so hopefully we'll see your listeners coming tomorrow.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Brie, I'm wondering if you can paint a vision. My partner is from Germany, and she's... We've been together for a while. She's been in Australia for nearly 10 years now. She's kind of shocked by Australia, which has a supposedly public healthcare system. A lot of specialist appointments are you do have to pay up front, um, and it seems like that's a key issue here and that these independent assessors are just another layer of bureaucracy that are being inserted into the equation. But what's really needed is to make everything free so that these specialists and uh allied uh, health uh, professionals are not something that you have to pay up front for i'm, I'm wondering if you can paint a vision for what what a, a changed ndis or or a more public based service would look like and how that would be easier for um people with uh different types of disability
3: um well the public. If it was public, it would obviously uh, be easier for people who can't afford to spend all this money on different appointments and so on to try to um, get reports done for the NDIS. Um, it will also. Um, it also is about just the fact that it, part of the problem is that getting um, supports is so expensive and it's not. In like uh, a publicly owned sphere, it's like all in all in market, um, and so a public disability service would be able to uh, like provide for people who want a public disability service who want uh, who don't may not have the money um, to like get on the NDIS. Um, and also it will help for like workers who have a right to safe and secure work as well. Um that being said, like, we don't want to go back to the old, the old, like, public disability service because there were still problems with this as, like, um, you know, it has been shown in the Royal Commission and has had problems with, like, segregation where you have, like, um, housing specifically for disabled people away from the community. So it's not that we want to go back to the old public disability System, we want to go like forward while learning the mistakes from like the previous system and um, taking the NDIS kind of with us. That would be the vision.
1: Yeah, nice.
0: Okay, um, well, we're running a bit out of time, um, kind of now. Um, Bree, do you have any, I guess, final comments you would like to make?
3: Um, no final comments. Just that I hope to see um, everyone tomorrow.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you very much, um, Brie. Um, and yeah, it was, um, good, um, to have a a discussion with you about your, um, about the, um, about the campaign.
3: Yeah. And thanks for having me.
1: Cheers, Brie. All right. And you can get along to the rally tomorrow. And it is at two o'clock. And is that at the State Library or the State Parliament?
0: Ah, State Library.
1: State Library, two o'clock tomorrow. Get amongst it. Uh, and go and go and show your support, and yeah, push for proper proper public disability service, and and to get rid of these financial impediments where people's access to disability service is based on you know who's got the most money and who's best able to navigate all these bureaucratic bloody forms and meetings and so on.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I definitely think it's a, it would, it would be, it's a good kind of ongoing campaign to support. And I think, I'm pretty sure, um, um, Bree didn't sort of mention this, but there is also going to be another meeting, um, following, um, the rally about kind of next steps for the kind of campaign. And I'm pretty sure you can find details for that if you go on their Facebook page, um, fairer kind of NDIS, um, for all. Hey, um so, um we're getting into I guess um the end of our program. I would like to um thank all our listeners for tuning in this week, especially for our first um back to air um to live program. Back on the horse. And um yeah, you you should hear from us next um live again, um next week unless something Tragic happens, maybe one of us will get COVID, but hopefully not. I don't think there's very low rates of COVID in that, in the community at the moment. And, um, and also the other thing is, um, I also want to sort of just make one quick plug again. Um, it's the free CR subscriber drive, consider becoming a subscriber and also consider becoming um, supporting Green Left as well um, becoming a supportive of independent media um, which is more kind of needed um, I also want to sort of add a quick correction to something I sort of mentioned because um, I just found out some recent information just in an earlier sort of discussion um, I was saying about um, about Facebook and the um, Australian news band um, some of the workarounds that people have been using including tiny URLs and URL shorteners uh, the Facebook appears to have caught up on that and they don't seem to be working anymore so um that's just a bit of interesting kind of info uh, there for you
1: um copy and paste the full text of the article into your comment and you'll get more uh you'll get bumped up the algorithm anyway yeah you get more reads
0: and of course the funny thing is i kind of wonder when is um facebook will facebook start cracking on that where will they start suspending people for sharing news.
1: Yeah, um, for copy and pasting. uh,
0: Which which um, would be a very kind of amusing sort of scenario to sort of wake up to um, because it's already bad enough as it is. But, yeah. Okay. Anyway, we'll get to the end of the program. Um, Jacob and Zane, we'd like to thank all our listeners and, yeah, um, tune in next week.
1: Stick around for Beyond Zero.
0: This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet before profit. If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au/slash support or free call 1 800 634 206. Arise, you workers from your farmers,
1: arise, you prisoners of want. For reason in revolt now thunders And at last since the age of Kant Away with all your superstitions Serve all masses, arise We'll change henceforth the old tradition And spurn the dust to win the prize